Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. I had that responsibility been given to me, I would have forgotten anyways because I was notorious for forgetting to dismiss the kids whenever I preached here, when I was here, and all the kids would just politely stare at me and like, hey, buddy, you going to kick us out of here yet? Um, they, they didn't want to listen to me. But it's, it's good to be back. Um, as Trey said, uh, uh, my name is Eric Freeman. I was here 2013 to 2016 as a member, as an intern or something like that, and a a bunch of other things. But uh, I think what was most important to me and my wife, Julie, is that uh, we were friends with you. Uh, We are friends with you still. Um, We left a community that we really loved to come to Covenant Seminary, and that scared the crap out of us. Uh, We weren't sure that we would ever see, uh, feel that way again. And by God's grace, he placed us here. And we felt that again, and in, in many ways, in better ways than we had uh, back home. And this is a place that we love. If it wasn't so dang humid here during the summers, we would probably still be here. Um, But we're back home up in Michigan, um, and it's been great. Uh, Since we left, uh, there's been a couple little steps in the journey, but we landed in a town called Cadillac, Michigan, population of 10,000, just kind of isolated in the northern part of the lower peninsula. Um, I know that's confusing, but uh, we've got two parts, and hand gestures to show you where it all fits together. Um, and, and it's been fantastic. Um, it, God has been so good to us. Um, I just want to show you my family real quick because it's been a while since you've seen us. So there's my wife, Julie, on the left. Um, if you know her, you know the best thing about her. She, she's like one of the kindest people on earth. And I'm so grateful to be married to her. We're, we've been married over 12 years now. And we, we have two kids now. Uh, we didn't have kids when we were here, but we have two now. Um, that's Max on the left. He just turned four. Um, he is very sweet. He's very emotional. Uh, he, he laughs a lot. He also cries a lot. <laughs> um, and he, he is the best buddy in the world. Um, and then there's Josie. Uh, she's a firecracker. She's wild. She's crazy. Uh, her older brother tells her to do the, all the dangerous things that he's too scared to do, and she does them head first. Uh, so I'm already praying for 16, um, because I'm not ready for that, and I won't be ever, uh, whatever she turns out to be at that age. Um, but yeah, so I love my family. It's been one of the joys uh, that we've had. One of the best parts, really, uh, of my last year since I've last seen you has been our family. Um, God's been good to us through that. Um, and then our church has been going so well, too. Um, but uh, yeah, so just about our church, we planted the Refuge Church there's an entire page on our website, Trey, that justifies the theolo- theologically the naming and why it's the, and so I can send you the link later. Um, but, but yeah, so we pr- planted the Refuge Church in Cadillac, and it's been fantastic. The last, uh, we've been in ministry for a year and a half, uh, and there are so many stories. I don't have time to share them all for you, with you. Um, I will post on the Facebook group. I still am part of that. I'll just post a link or some contact information. So if you want to hear some of the stories, you can get in touch with me. But it's been amazing. We, we started out with 21 adults, and now we've got a church family of about 90. Uh, we just had our first membership party, um, somewhat taken uh, an inspiration from what you guys do here. 
um, and baptized a bunch of people. People are coming to Christ. Uh, it's been so awesome. Um, I'm so grateful. And um, I think what I've told people is that we've just, f- we feel like spectators. Like we're, we're almost sitting on the sidelines watching God play this game. He's doing it all. And of course we're putting in the work, but the type of actual fruit that's coming from it isn't stuff that I'm capable of doing. And we just show up week after week and God is doing something new, something fresh, something amazing in our church. And I'm so grateful for that. And one of the blessings too is that he's protected us from a lot of the, what do we call them? I don't know, problems of being a church plant too. Um, I hesitate to say it because I don't want to make people feel jealous and I'm also worried that speaking it out loud will somehow make things worse down the road, but up to now, it's been easy. And that's awesome. And it's not because of anything we're doing. It's just been good. We're getting a little taste of what heaven's going to be like. Not a perfect taste, not a full taste, but just a little taste. And yeah, it's just like Sunday's my favorite day right now of my entire week. And as a pastor, we don't always get to say that. Um, so, yeah. Thank you for all your prayers. I just want you to know that God is doing well. Last year, you saw a video update uh, from me, and I didn't look quite like I look now. I looked pretty horrible. Um, I, you know that I got diagnosed with a kidney disease. Um, that's still with me. It's not curable, um, but I'm in full remission right now. Um, feeling healthier off the medication, um, still enduring a lot of the pain of the side effects from that medication, but we're, we're hopefully going to be working our way out of that too. But, so thank you for your prayers there. I'm doing a lot better um, as well uh, for that. But yeah, I think that's all the updates. Um, thank you for your prayers and support. We can talk more about it later. Um, let's transition into the sermon time because that's really what we're here to do is, is worship God, learn more about him and his love for us. So Trey, when he asked me to preach, um, and, and he was giving me some direction for some potential sermon topics or passages that I could preach on, this was the text message he sent me. Preach on a passage that has greatly impacted you, either currently or in the past, something that shaped your vision for your church or your city, or whatever. <laughs> Which is like the most text, uh, Trey text ever. Uh, whatever, now... That's cool for him. He understands what whatever means. For me, I overthink everything. So whatever just puts me in a place of anxiety and overthinking. I'm trying to be too clever. And there are things that I could say today about like our church's vision and our church's mission. There are things I could talk about, about the foundational values and effectiveness of why we do church planting um, or how God is calling our church to a mission that's totally unique, just like every other church in the world. Um, and... There's so many things I could say with you, share with you today, um, but I feel like I need to resist the, that urge to feel clever this morning. Um, I feel like God is just calling me back to just share like the simple stuff with you guys, because it's honestly what's been most impactful to me and my church over the last year. We do have a mission. We do have a strategy. We do have bylaws. Like we have all that stuff that makes churches run, but what is necessary is a foundation of love rooted in God's love for us. This is what Henry Nouwen says in one of his books. The mystery of ministry is that we have been chosen to make our own limited and very conditional love the gateway for the unlimited and unconditional love of God. The most important thing we can do as a church is to soak ourselves in the reality of just how loved we are in Jesus. And so this morning, I just want to go back to something simple. 
passage is probably really familiar to you, um, one that you've probably heard before, even memorized. And it's a passage that over the last year has rekindled my heart and the heart of my church up in Michigan uh, for that awareness of how much Jesus really loves us. And that's Psalm 8. So if you want to follow along, words will be on the screen. I'll be reading Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants. You've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? And yet you've made him a little lower than heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. The Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true. And it's given to us in love. So one of my favorite songs has this lyric in it. It comes from a guy named Ryan O'Neill, who's the front man for a band called Sleeping at Last. And he says this, Our once barren world now brims with life that we may fall in love every time we open our eyes. I've been searching for the right word to describe that. Um, a lot of words just don't seem to, to really describe what this feeling is. And I think the closest word that we can come to is the word enchantment. We were made for enchantment, to be enchanted with the world around us. It's part of what makes us human beings. Um, we chase sunsets to the shoreline and just sit there on the sand and watch the sun soak into the, in, into the water. We, we climb mountains and break our bodies just to get to that view, right? Just for a moment to glimpse the beauty of everything around it. We plant gardens. Kids climb trees. Dads, you mow your lawns. You are so passionate about straight lines, aren't you? Jeremy's nodding. Yeah, he loves that. Preach. Um, it's like we have our own personal Garden of Eden. Or like King David in Psalm 8, we lay underneath the stars and just play connect the dots. God created us to be enchanted with him and the world that he made for us. We were made to fall in love every time we open our eyes. And this is how David... This is how he sees the world. Behind every natural wonder, he sees the divine creator to be heard, to be seen, to be known. David's world, it's full of enchantment, even in the most ordinary of things. You read some of his other psalms and, and you see that he looks at the waves and he sees God's hand holding them at bay. He looks at a cloud in the sky and sees God riding on it like a chariot. Morning rain, flowers in the meadow, sheep in the pasture. There is nothing ordinary about the world that David sees because it's sacred. It all belongs to him. Now David, he, you know, he's a unique and special figure in the Bible, right? He killed giants. Um, he became a king. He built this kingdom into the greatest in Israel's history. He wrote poems and songs that were inspired by God and made it into scripture David is special. 
But what he's experiencing here in Psalm 8, I mean, that's true of every single one of us. His eyes work exactly the way that your eyes do too. He has no sixth sense. He works with the same five senses that you and I have. And David, you and me, we're all the same. We're all created equally to be able to look around this world and be stirred to awe and wonder. But I don't think I have to stress this next point too much to convince you that for most of us, the way I'm talking right now, it seems sometimes like an idealistic fairy tale way of living, right? Maybe you had a moment in your life where you felt like that, but then the rest of life hit you and you're tired. Your heart's a little hard, a little colder than it used to be. We might have a few moving spiritual experiences once or twice in our life, but those moments are feeling rarer and rarer because the bulk of our lives just feels disconnected from this, right? Honestly, this is one of the biggest challenges we face as a church plant, I think. Uh, We exist, at least in part, to reach people who don't see their need to be reached, which is a tough job. Um, In their minds, life is just fine without the church. Life is just fine without God or the gospel. Maybe things aren't perfect, like obviously nothing is perfect, but they've pretty much settled into a way of thinking that says, well, I guess this is it. I guess I'm okay with that. Now, for some people, that conclusion leads them to settle into um, a life of comfort and enjoyment, to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, that sort of thing. For other people, um, this idea uh, of just a mundane, ordinary, purposeless life, it leads them into despair and hopelessness, that there's no purpose. It ruins us. But I think most of us, if we're being honest, most of us probably just tune it out. Just go on autopilot, right? Now, everybody in ministry and church circles right now, they're talking about um, what a professor friend of mine at Covenant this last week called the insanity of our current cultural moment. And everybody in church circles is trying to figure out what's the cause of this insanity and what are some of the solutions to this cultural insanity. And there's a lot of good ideas out there. But it seems to me that at least one of the root problems that we have as people is that we have collectively lost our sense of awe and wonder with the world. We're busy. We're distracted. We fill up our schedules so that we don't have time to be still, no time to think, no time to look for God out in the world or what he's doing. And to be honest, the idea of actually having some downtime to spend with God to seek him out. That scares us, doesn't it? Like, we don't like that quiet. We don't like that stillness. And so, what do we do? We fill that blank part in our schedule with something. Just anything to keep us busy. See, David, he's inviting us to come outside with him and look up at the stars. But we've locked ourselves indoors and we're still binging Netflix. We're busy and distracted, but we're also cynical and jaded too, allowing the difficulties of life to just harden us, to make us go numb. We might know that we're made for something more, but we just don't have the time or energy to care because we've just been hurt a little too much. 
We're also people who, who try to measure and, and rationalize everything. And I don't remember everything about this particular church, and at least in the form that it existed when I was here, there were quite a few engineers and, and scientists here, and maybe you feel this one, uh, th- that, that uh, tendency to rationalize and measure everything out to the point where we actually lose all sense of mystery and wonder with the world that we live in. And science and other pursuits of knowledge, they all have their valuable place in this world. They're great for us, and we should encourage that and pursue those areas of study. They're here to help, uh, help us understand what the world is and how it works. But they don't have the tools in the toolbox to answer the why. There's something, though, that God put in our hearts that can answer the why. One author named Mike Cosper, he put it this way, a food chemist who can tell you about uh, what a strawberry is, how it grows, what its chemical makeup is, why the tongue tells the brain it's so sweet, somehow knows less than a child who's actually tasted one. And wouldn't we all agree that the child's knowledge is superior, more useful, or at the very least, more conducive to a good life? So let me ask you, when did we all settle for the disenchanted life? When did we settle for that? And is it really the choice we want to make? David, he knew this temptation too. There were so many moments in his life where he was tempted to go numb, to to shut down, to figure out a way of living that didn't require him to look for God out in this world that he lived in. His life was full of enemies, full of battles, full of hardships that were constantly tempting him to become disenchanted, to put blinders over his eyes like a horse so that he could only see the problem in front of him. And it makes sense because when your eyes are fixed on the enemy, you've blinded yourself from seeing your deliverer. What I'm saying here is that this is about more than just being too busy or too cynical. There's a real spiritual battle that is actually being waged in our hearts, for our hearts. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, um, he writes from the perspective of a demon named uh, Screwtape, who's writing advice to his nephew, Wormwood, on how to, detem- how to tempt and destroy the faith of, of his patients, which by patients he means people like you and me. And in one of those letters, he writes this. Your job is to make him dull, his spirit, and gradually make him content with it. Persuading himself that this is not so dull after all, in a week or two, you will be making him doubt whether the first days of his Christianity were not perhaps a little excessive. So talk to him about moderation in all things. Get him to the point of thinking that religion is all very well up to a point because a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all. And it's more amusing. See, the enemy would love nothing more than to dull your faith, than to cause you to settle for a life where there is no enchantment, where there is no awe, where there is no mystery or wonder, no God to be known or to be loved by, just an ordinary, mundane life. And you know what? Many of us have settled for that without putting up even a fight. 
The enemy wants us to believe this is all there is. But David, in Psalm 8, he fights back. He asks in verse 2, who can still the voice of the enemy? Who can still the voice of the enemy? When my son Max, um, four years ago when he was born, he went through this phase of life. uh, It lasted several weeks, a couple months, I can't quite remember, where it was extremely fussy. Every night, he would just get what seemed to be this intense pain. He would start screaming. He would arch his back as if something in his back was just in in incredible pain. He would twist his face. It was really hard to watch. And I know a lot of you parents, you've experienced similar things. You know how hard that experience can be, right? Kind of feel helpless. But the worst part of it for me was that during this phase, Max stopped letting me hold him. Now, um, before I was a parent, I had never looked at myself as like a nurturer at heart. I was actually pretty scared to get to be a dad. And, um, but when Max was born, this just new longing awakened in me to be the sort of dad who snuggled with his boy, who played with his boy. And Max wouldn't let me. And it crushed me. Honestly, it did. Um, But what else crushed me was the noise. (laughs) Um, I struggle with waves of anxiety, and those waves of anxiety are often triggered by loud, chaotic noises. And Max was an expert in loud, chaotic noises. And there was this one day, um, maybe Max was a few weeks old, and Julie had not left the house yet. Um, She had actually never been apart from Max during that entire time. And she needed to get out. And we all knew it. She needed to get out. She just wanted to go have fun, do something normal, feel like a human being again. So, and I wanted to help her, but I was scared because it would just mean me and Max. But Julie assured me, I'm going to put Max down for a nap. Everything's going to be okay. We're just going to try this for an hour. He probably will be asleep the whole time. You guys know what's coming next, huh? Yeah. So I kid you not, the moment Julie drove down the driveway, Max starts screaming. But I didn't call. I didn't call for help. We were going to get through this. So I went to his room, picked him up, changed his diaper. It was a struggle. Looked at my watch, 55 more minutes. Crap. (laughs) All right, we're going to get through this. I, I, I got out some toys started singing to him, tried to play with him. Nothing was working. Looked at my watch again, 51 more minutes. We're not going to make it. My dog starts looking at me as if something bad is really happening here. And at that moment, I knew, okay, we just need to change the scenery. So I pick up Max, and we go outside for some fresh air. I'm not sure that he had been outside yet. And you know what happened? Instantly, the crying stopped. In a moment, he went from pain and crying to silence and awe and wonder. I looked into his eyes, and he was fixated on this giant black cherry tree, the one in that picture, that's in the middle of our yard. It's like 60 or 70 feet tall. And it was springtime, the leaves were just starting to come out, and they're just gently dancing in the breeze. What I saw in Max's eyes was something that I don't think I had ever seen before. It was enchantment. 
awe, wonder. And you know, as I look back on that moment, I can say, I think I can say that that was the day that Max fell in love. Now with what or whom he fell in love with, he didn't know yet, but he was falling in love. His soul had awakened to a reality bigger than what he had known, just being trapped in his nursery crib. It was this love-filled longing to know the world that he had been born into, to know who or what gave birth to it all. So again, David asks, what can still the voice of the enemy? The answer, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength to still the enemy. Isn't that awesome? Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you still the voice of the enemy. Childlike wonder and re-enchantment with the world, to look at a tree and be silenced by its beauty, to look at the stars and ask in amazement, who am I to you, God, that you would care for me? Look, this isn't some higher level of spirituality or enlightenment that you have to become a monk to, to find. You don't have to have a library of theology books to experience this. All you have to do is walk outside and look up. That's all you have to do. Take it all in like a little child. So I like to imagine that if David were with my son Max, watching the leaves on the tree, blowing in the wind, he would tell Max about the Spirit of God, breathing life into everything, the Spirit of God blowing like the wind wherever he pleases. I like to imagine David pulling out the telescope and showing Max the moon and the stars and then opening up Genesis 1 and telling the story of how the voice of God spoke into the void and said, let there be light. And there was light. When Max watches the sun set and the sky go dark, I like to imagine the prophet Isaiah cradling Max in his arms, telling him about how the Lord stretches a curtain of protection over us and looks down upon us as if we are tiny little grasshoppers. And then maybe Job comes along and sits down next to them and takes Max's hand and traces the constellations, telling Max about how God knows the ends of the universe and holds all things together. And as Max takes it all in and listens to these stories, he's overcome with this new awareness of the presence of God, that God is here, that he is living and active in this world. See, the beauty of creation does two things to us simultaneously. First, the beauty helps us rediscover just how big and majestic God really is. And then second, at the very same time, we are reminded of just how small and insignificant we are by comparison. And the more we look at the heavens, the more we realize just how big the gap is between here and there. That's what's happening in David's heart as he's writing the psalm. What is man that you care for him? He's humbled to think about how God has given humanity such an important role in his creation as its caretaker. But he also can't be helped but be overwhelmed by just how much this gap exists between us and God. And the gap is a big one. A couple of his other psalms, David figuratively says that the clouds, of, the clouds and the stars of the heavens, they're kind of like the throne of God, his dwelling place. 
And yet here is David, little David here on earth. David knows God is there. He knows he's there. He's ruling over all things. He sees the evidence for him everywhere, but he doesn't see him fully. He doesn't see him face to face. And that leaves him with the sense that something is still not quite right with the world that he's enchanted by. Because we're not with God. He's not dwelling with us as he originally intended. Our sin is separating us from him. And so while Psalm 8 might have a beginning and an end in Scripture, I think David knows that this song can't be finished yet. That something else must come in and bridge that gap. Psalm 8, it's always been a popular hymn. It would have been uh, one that most Jews would have memorized. It probably would have come to mind every single time that they looked up and saw the stars. But something interesting happened about a thousand years after it was written. The author of Hebrews, he's writing to a, a big group of churches that he was overseeing, and as he's writing this letter, maybe he's looking up at the stars himself as he's writing, it suddenly hits him. All the longings and questions that David had while writing Psalm 8, they have an answer. Because Psalm 8 is actually looking forward to Jesus. It's anticipating Jesus. It's talking about him. This is what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2. For in one place the scriptures say, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Sound familiar, right? That's the passage we just read. Now he interprets that through the lens of Jesus. Now when it says all things, it means nothing's left out. We've not yet seen all things put under their authority though. What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the heavenly beings. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. See, the author of Hebrews is telling us that the gap between heaven and earth has been bridged. God came down to us. In the person of Jesus, God came down. He made himself lowly, became human, the son of man, like one of us. He stepped down from his throne in heaven, made his dwelling place here on earth, and while Jesus was here, he destroyed every barrier, every separation between us and God so that we could be restored to a relationship with him. David has been asking all this time, what can bridge the gap? And the author of Hebrews has seen the answer. And the answer is the cross, the cross of Christ. Jesus tasted death for us. He took upon himself the sin that separates us from God and put that to death on the cross so that it would no longer separate us from him. This is what we mean when we say this is the gospel. This is the good news that we're here to celebrate this morning. This is the good news of all of Scripture, that the creator of the universe came down, crossed the divide, and became our Savior. And in Jesus, we have finally come to see God face to face. And in Jesus, we have this promise 
that we will one day spend eternity with him in his dwelling place where God and man will be one. What I'm saying here this morning is that there is a sermon in the stars. Every time you look up, you are seeing a sermon. And so preach that to yourself when you do. Preach the good news. Remind yourself of what God has accomplished on your behalf. That though the gap was once so great that nobody could bridge it, Jesus, the Son of Man, came down to bridge that for you. Though God, that his dwelling place is in the heavens, and Jesus, he's bringing heaven down to earth to make a permanent dwelling here among us. See, the plan of salvation that God is working out is not merely one that we would fall in love with every time we open our eyes to see his creation around us. His ultimate plan is that we would actually see that one day face to face, to see him face to face. So let me ask you again. Why did you ever settle for the disenchanted life? Where's the childlike wonder? Where's the awe? Where's the mystery? Where's the love? Why do we allow our vision of the world around us to be clouded by busyness and cynicism? Because I think we've learned by now that that way of life is killing us and killing our spirits. We were made for more. And I get it, this gospel sounds crazy most days. Sounds too good to be true most days. But in a world that offers nothing but dullness and moderate and modest hopes, you know, I'll take a little crazy. I'll take a little crazy and put my hope in that gospel instead. Give us an enchanted hope. Give me an enchanted hope and a heart to believe that the God who made the stars in the sky loves us so much that he came down to save us. Psalm 8 is inviting you and me to see more clearly. That's what it's doing. To see more clearly, to feel more deeply, and to receive this undeserved love from our creator. So let's receive it, okay? Let's receive the gift that he's giving us. The next time that you look at an empty spot in your schedule, don't fill it. Don't fill it. Receive the grace that God is offering you to keep that spot empty. Put down the busyness of your life and pick up a walking stick. Sit in a beach chair or a hammock and be reminded that God wants you to be with him in the enchanted world that he made. The next time it's 3 a.m. and you finally get the baby to sleep and you're exhausted and you just want the day to end, before you go back to bed, just step outside for a minute and look up at that night sky and be reminded that the same God who made those stars in the sky sees you now. He hears your sighs. He feels your stress. And his deepest longing is to carry that burden for you. The next time you see a news headline that once again reminds you of how broken this world is and how wounded humanity is, Look up at the heavens and remember that the same creator who's holding billions of galaxies in the universe together right now at this very moment is also holding your life together.
and he will not allow his plan of salvation to fail. And the next time that you feel overwhelmed by your sin, look up and remember that one time your Savior Jesus came down to pay the price for your sin and to defeat it. There's a sermon in our stars. So let's preach the good news to ourselves whenever we look up at them. Let's pray. By your mercy, Lord Jesus, would you stir us out of wherever we are stuck? Please don't let us settle. We know your love for us is so great that you have intervened and you will continue to intervene into our life. And so we ask, Lord, if we feel stuck, would you intervene once again? Shake us awake. Open our eyes. Soften our hearts to see that you are with us, that you are still working, and that you deeply, deeply love us. In your name we pray. Amen. building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.